The Student Ministry Podcast you're about to hear is a sermon preached by Pastor Kurt Skelly at the 2010 West Coast Baptist Youth Conference. Pastor Skelly serves as the senior pastor of the Harvest Baptist Church in Natrona Heights, Pennsylvania, and we hope this message will be a blessing to you. For more sermon resources, please visit preaching.lancasterbaptist.org. I don't know how long you're going to live. I do know this, that God promises, promises us not more than one day. Now, you know that. You guys with me? God promises us only one day. You do not know if you'll be alive tomorrow. Say, Pastor Skelly, are you trying to scare us? No, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just trying to inform you that there are kids that I knew in high school that, uh, that died in high school. I can tell you their names. I can talk to you about Ricky Kimball, who died in eighth grade. I can talk to you about Terry Gustafson, who died when she was just 19 years of age. I, I know of teenagers that are almost virtually every age, 13, 14, 15 years of age, that have passed away. Now, that probably won't happen to, to most of you, or, or maybe even to any of you, but it might. I can tell you something else that the Bible teaches that Jesus Christ could come back at any moment. And listen, you better wake up. Because the Bible teaches that, uh, that uh, in the end times, uh, these events will be happening in Israel. And I'm telling you what, if you study world events, I, I mean, I've got to believe that Jesus Christ is coming back at any moment. It could be today. And you might never be 15. You might never be 16. You might never graduate from high school. I'm just saying that uh, you don't necessarily have tomorrow. Boast not thyself of tomorrow. Thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Go to now, ye that say today or tomorrow will go into such a city and continue there a year and, and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas you know not what should be on the morrow. For what's your life? It's, it's even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. I'm just saying, listen, your life is like a wisp. Your life is here, and then it's gone. And I'm telling you what, the older you get, the faster it goes. It is unbelievable. And some of you that are, are uh, uh, juniors right now, in just a few short months, you become a senior in high school, and where has the time gone? And I'm just, te- I'm just telling you this morning that uh, life goes by quickly, and you don't know how much life you have. And here in Jeremiah chapter 2, God gives Jeremiah his very first message and says, Jeremiah, I want you to tell my people that I remember them. I remember the way it used to be. I remember when they loved me. I remember when they followed me. I remember, hey, I remember when we were just like that. I remember. And I wonder this morning if God looks down from heaven at some teenagers at the Lancaster Baptist Church in Lancaster, California. And I wonder if God were to be honest, which he always is, obviously, and to talk to us verbally this morning, I wonder if about you the Lord would say, yeah, yeah, uh, so-and-so, I, I remember them. I've not seen them in a while. I've not heard from them in a while. I've not worked with them for a while, but I I do remember them. I remember that camp service when when they were crying down at the altar, made some great decisions, and went home, and actually they began to be a blessing at home, and they showed up at the teen soul winning program, and they began to read their Bible. Hey, I remember all of that. Let me just say this, that God has an, an excellent memory. 
God knows every commitment you made, and God knows everything you've ever done for him, and, and he's not unrighteous to remember uh, your work of faith, and God knows exactly who you are and what you've done, but here's the message. I'm afraid that in many lives, people are already just a memory. Their best days for Christ are already behind them. Their great exploits for God are already a past memory. The great commitments they've made to God are already behind them. And you might be 13 years old in this early morning service on this Thursday, and you may have already had your best spiritual days. And how sad would that be? And my question this morning is simply this. Are you already a memory? Are you already a memory? Notice with me our text here, Jeremiah chapter 2, and consider with me these three points. First of all, I want you to notice this country's prior consecration. I want you to consider the way they used to follow God, their prior consecration. Look back at Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse uh, 2, please, of our text. The Bible says, Go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord. I remember thee. What does God remember about these people? Hey, what does God remember about you and me? The Bible says, I remember thee, the kindness of thy youth. Isn't that something? God remembers the kindness of our youth. And listen, there's a certain kindness that comes with youth. Now, I think that kindness leaves when you enter seventh grade. But remember when you were just a little kid? Remember what you wanted to do when you were a little kid? You wanted to do exactly what dad wanted to do. So you little boys, dad was outside mowing the lawn. And what did you do? You took your little toy lawnmower. Remember that? And you mowed the carpet. I want to be just like daddy. Remember, dad would come home and and mom would say, honey, could you go out to to, to the store and get some milk? And dad would say, are your legs broken? No, he'd say, okay, dear, sure. (laughs) Then he'd say to you, you are four years old or maybe you were six years old. And he would say, who wants to go with daddy? And you'd say, I do, I do. He's going to get milk. But it didn't matter what he was doing. You're going with daddy. Now, what happened to those days? What happened to the days when it was just about the Lord? What happened to the days when it didn't make a difference what the youth uh, activity was? Hey, the teens are getting together. We're going to have a Bible study. Hey, that's great. We're going to learn about God. Hey, we're going to go to church. Hey, that's wonderful. And yet we live in a generation that says, hey, entertain me. Is it going to be fun? Maybe I might show up if I got nothing else going on. Listen, we serve a God that deserves more than just being, if nothing else is going on, I'll show up God. What I found typically to be true among young people is, boy, they love to hang out with daddy when they're four years old, five years old, six years old, and then 16 years old because they want to drive. And so all of a sudden, they want to hang out with dad again. It's like my, like, like my son Joshua now, he's 16, has driver's permit. He never wanted to drive around with dad. I'm going to go down the store. Now it's like, dad, I'll go with you. I'm going to go, I'm going to go on a hospital visitation for nine days. Dad, I'll go with you. Why? Because he wants to drive. And when he drives, it increases your prayer life. <laughs> We're going down the highway the other day, and I'm, I'm teaching him how to merge in lanes. 
He has no concept of merge. You know, you're supposed to gradually go to a lane. We're driving the road. He goes like this. Here's how he merges lanes. So Joshua, just ease over. And so the next time he goes over, he, it takes him 10 minutes to change lanes. We've got like tractor trailer trucks behind us. Tell me what. Let me ask you a question. Why do you want to be with God? Why do you want to be with God? Or how about this question? Do you even want to be with God? Hey, who wants to have devotions? Who wants to spend time studying the Bible? Who wants to spend time praying for the souls of men? Who wants to spend time going out and telling people about Jesus Christ? Hey, I do, I do, I do. Where is the consecration of a little boy? But not only do I see the consecration of a little boy, notice the Bible teaches the consecration of a loyal bride. Would you notice what it says here in verse 2? I remember thee, the kindness of thy youth. Notice this, the love of thine espousals. God said it was like I was the groom and you were the bride. It was like we, we contractually got married and, and I said, hey, we're moving out to the wilderness. And You didn't ask me if we were going to live in a nice three-bedroom house. You didn't ask me if we were going to have air conditioning. You didn't ask me where we, hey, listen, if I just said go, we, you went and you had faith in me. And I took you out to a place where there was no place to live. And I took you out to a place that was a desert place. But you didn't care because it wasn't about the place. It was about me. And I wonder, where's the teenager that says, listen, it's not about the place. It's not about the activity. It's about the Lord. It's about God. I want to get to know him. Oh, you say, Pastor Skelly, you're preaching over the teenager's heads. A teenagers don't have a walk with God. Hey, that's not true. Some of the best Christians I know are teenagers. And it's about time that seventh grade guys and ninth grade girls and uh, uh, seventh to eleventh grade teenagers decided I'm going to have a walk with God. Amen. Amen. Like a loyal bride. I remember proposing to my wife 23 years ago. And I didn't have anything to offer her. I didn't have a steady job. I was going to get a job that summer. The first year we were married, I made $11,000. We lived in Gary, Indiana, which at that point per capita was the murder capital of the world. I looked outside of my window one night and watched four thugs steal my, try to steal my car. I'm telling you what, it was not the kind of place you'd say, well, I'm going to marry him because we're going to live in a nice house. No, we lived in a roach-infested apartment in the murder capital of the world. We drove an old beat-up car. I didn't make a lot of money. Sometimes we'd stop at Burger King. We'd have 99 cents that we'd scrape out digging in the seats to buy a 99-cent Whopper that we could share. There were times, honestly, that we'd open the, the cupboards of our apartment and have no food in there. I remember one particular time we had no food. We had a one half box of macaroni and cheese. That's it. Nothing in the refrigerator, nothing in the cupboards. You say, she didn't marry me for my money. Obviously, she didn't marry me for my muscular physique. But you know something? It wasn't about the house, it wasn't about the decorum, it wasn't about all the amenities. It was about the relationship, and she didn't care. You know why? We were in love, and it wasn't about anything other than the relationship. And I wonder, how is it in your life with God? Is it about the youth activity? Is it about the program? Is it about the church? Is it about the amenities? Or is it about your relationship with Jesus Christ? When's the last time you knelt down in your secret prayer place? That's a whole message by itself. 
When's the last time you got alone with God in your secret place? Oh, maybe it's your bedroom. Maybe it's outside behind your house in a little patch of woods. When's the last time you got alone in your secret place with God and tears were flowing down your face and you said, God, I'm not here to ask you about anything. I'm not here to pray about anything. God, I'm just here this morning to tell you, hey, I love you. Lord, I love you. When's the last time you just told the Lord, I love you? Or is that already a memory? The consecration of a little boy. The consecration of a loyal bride. The consecration of the Lord's belongings. Would you look at verse 3? The Bible says Israel was holiness unto the Lord and the first fruits of his increase. Now the comparison here is God said, I used to own you. You are my first fruits. You belong to me. The first fruits belong to God. By the way, if you work at McDonald's, you work a paper route, you work a summer job, the first 10% belongs to God. The first fruits, that belongs to God. You know that God considers you his first fruits? You know that God considers you what belongs to him? And that God said, I remember the time when Israel belonged to me. I remember when you were under my influence. I remember when you were under my control. I remember when you belonged to me. Sometimes we sing that great song, Now I belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to me, not for the years of time alone, but for eternity. I wonder, do you really belong to Jesus? Oh, you've been bought with a price. Therefore, you're to glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Oh, you belong to him, but do you you act like you belong to God? Israel was holiness unto the Lord and the first fruits of his increase. I wonder what you would do if somebody came into your hotel room and, and took your luggage I wonder if you, when you all go off to college, uh, how we take great umbrage if uh, some guy comes into our room and borrows my tie, or my bro- or my brother or my brother comes into my bedroom and, and uh, borrows my shoes, or my sister comes in and borrows my hairbrush and that's my hairbrush. <laughs> Isn't it amazing how ticked off we can get when people borrow the littlest things that we own? How ticked off we can get when people borrow the littlest things we own and yet we take the life that God owns and we do everything else with it except serve God. I wonder how that ticks God off. I'm saying that this was their prior consecration. But not only do I see their prior consecration, notice with me secondly, their present condition. What were they behaving like now? Because obviously they were not what they once were. Obviously, their camp decisions have worn off, and obviously, their youth conference decisions from the year before were no longer being enforced. And uh, what were they behaving like now? What God tells us in verse 4 and following. In verse 4, the Bible says, Hear ye the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. Thus saith the Lord, What iniquity have your fathers found in me that they are gone from me? And have walked after vanity and are vain. Neither said they, where is the Lord that brought us up out of the land of Egypt and that led us through the wilderness, through a land of deserts and a pit, through the land of drought and the shadow of death, through a land that no man passed through and where no man dwell. God is asking a legitimate question. I want you to see it. God said, hey, you used to be like this. We used to be like this and now we're like this. And God said, what happened? And here's what God says in graciousness. Here's what God says. God said, was it something I did wrong? Was it something I said? Was I not good enough to you? Was I not gracious enough to you? 
Did I mistreat you in some way? Would you please forgive me? Do you see what God is saying here? Can you imagine how many of you would say, Pastor Skelly, I have a best friend. Would you raise your hand up good night? I have a best friend. Many of you do. What would you feel like one day if you walked into the youth group meeting and your best friend walked in? But this time, instead of coming down and speaking with you and sitting right next to you, as she always does. As he always does. I wonder if your best friend walked into the room and instead of speaking to you, just walked right by you. Never said a word. And instead of sitting next to you, as she always does, she sat on the opposite side of the room. And when you tried to make eye contact with her, she would not look at you. And you waited the entire youth meeting. After youth meeting, you went up and said, hey, uh, what's wrong? Oh, what, what, what did I do? Hey, why aren't you talking to me? And instead of she even giving you an answer, she just turned her back and walked away. How would that make you feel? The same way many of you make God feel. Oh, you hugged him good and tight and made that great decision. Oh, you hugged him good and tight and got involved in that Bible reading schedule January 1. Oh, you hugged him good and tight, but now you walk right by him. And he's tapping you on the shoulder saying, hey, what, what did I do wrong? Hey, uh, uh, what, what happened to us? Hey, I've been missing you. And we say absolutely nothing. What was their present condition? I see, first of all, they were distant from the Lord. They were distant from the Lord. They were no longer close. They were no longer cuddled up. They were no longer like that bride or like that little boy that wanted to go everywhere with dad. They were no longer like that loyal, like the Lord's belonging. They were far from God. The funny thing is, when you're far from God, he's harder to see. When you're far from God, he's harder to hear. Sometimes when you're so far from God, you can't hear a thing he says. You can't hear one thing because you're so far. Sometimes the only people that can hear are the people that are right down close. And God says, I love you. And I appreciate you sitting so close and being right here. Pastor Skelly, I didn't hear a word of that. I know you're too far. You got to get up close. When you're far away, you can only hear thunder. When you're far away, you can only feel the earthquake. When you're far away, you can only feel the the wind, the mighty wind. But you got to be up close to hear the still small voice. They were distant from the Lord. Not only were they distant from the Lord, I see they were defiling the land. Would you notice our text here? In verse uh, 7, I brought you into a plentiful country. Hey, I gave you good things. By the way, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. To eat the fruit thereof and the goodness thereof. But when you entered, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. Hey, listen, every good gift I've given you. And think about it, American teenager. God has placed us in the most prosperous nation on earth. Hey, we are so spoiled. We're spoiled. 25,000 young people will die today because they don't have enough food. Today, from starvation. We go to the refrigerator and get whatever we want. 
We live in air conditioning. Many of you have your own car already. We've got our, our, our Xboxes and we've got our Wii systems and we've got our designer clothes. And listen, we, we have so much. We take all the things that God has given us and we defile it. We snuff at God. We act as if it's not enough and we're rich and increased with goods. And we think we have need of nothing. And we realize not that we're poor and naked and miserable and blind and naked. And we need God. And we need him desperately. We don't even know it. We had a missionary come to our house some time ago. And he was a good guy doing a good work in a distant country. But he had a little kid. How many of you have a little brother or sister? Would you raise your hand up good and I? Now keep your hand up if he is annoying. Okay, I didn't, I didn't say raise your hand higher. Just keep it up, okay? <laughs> but this missionary had a couple older kids, and they were good kids, but they had a little brother who was very annoying. Just a little toddler kid. Nothing frustrates me more than being in public places and seeing toddlers that control their parents. It bothers me. I want to take them and do corporal p- punishment on them right then. I want to use baseball bats and fishing rods and whatever's at my disposal. This missionary came to my house, and the son is being incorrigible, which means for you blondes that he's misbehaving. And I'm kind of like giving the, the eye to mom and dad, like this is unacceptable. Like, but they're not getting the signals. Finally, this kid takes a pen from his dad. We have a beautiful Thomas Kincaid painting in our living room that the church gave us. It's a very expensive painting. I never would have purchased it myself, but it's a beautiful painting. He begins to write on our living room wall. And now he's about to write on the the painting. And listen, now I don't care if I offend the missionary. So my son, Caleb, intercepts him and grabs him. The, kids, the little brat starts hitting my son. So I grab him and put him between my, my legs like this, hold him, hold him tight. And I can't spank him. I know that's politically incorrect, but I can squeeze hard. <laughs> and I squeezed as if I wanted to feel my own fist in my hand. Squeeze. And the kid's going, Aah! If I could, I would have stuck my sock down his throat. The mother came and yanked him up and looked at me as if I was Adolf Hitler. I said, you ain't getting any support from us, lady. (laughs) I was upset by that. And guess what? So would you be. You know why? That's my stuff. That's a gift to me. That's our home. How dare you come in and take a pen and defile my wall? How dare you come in and take a pen and mar up my picture? You'll not do that in my house. Yet everything we have is given to us by God. He owns it. And we defile it and act as if it it belongs to us and act as if it's under our influence. And God looks down and said, hey, you're defiling the very things I've given you to use for me. They were distant from the Lord. They were defiling the land. Thirdly, they were devoid of leadership. Look at verse 8. The Bible says the priest said not. Here's the problem. The people had nobody to look to. Because even the leaders, like the priests, they didn't even know where God was. Where's the Lord? They that handled the law, they would be the scribes. They knew me not. 
The pastors, they would be the civil leaders of the Old Testament. They transgressed against me. The, the prophets, those would be the preachers. They prophesied by Baal and walked after things that do not profit. The people were in sad shape because the leadership was in sad shape. Right. And I would say this, you 11th graders, guess what? You're the leadership of the youth group next year. And I'll say this, and it's a sad thing because eighth grader, if that senior doesn't follow God, you ought to still follow God. But you know what? It's a whole lot easier in the youth group when you juniors follow God. I want every junior to stand to his feet. Every junior, stand to your feet. Remain standing. You have a responsibility next year. You better step to the plate. Hey, you better sit up front. You better love God. You better show up for team soul winning. You understand me? You better step it up, my friend. You know why? Because the truth of the matter is, these 7th and 8th graders, they're looking right at you. They're looking right at you. And you better take some leadership. And no wonder this nation was in such bad shape because even the leaders, now we talk about the pastors, but listen, in a youth group, you're the leaders. We're standing for God. And I'm sick and tired of the altar being full of 7th and 8th graders first. And I'm sick and tired of the front rows being filled of 7th and 8th graders first. It's time that some of you leaders became leaders. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. Distant from the Lord. Defiling of the land. Devoid of leadership. That was their present condition. Quickly and lastly, notice the prosecution's case. God assumes the role of a prosecuting attorney. God says in verse 9, don't misread what the verse is saying. He says, wherefore, I will yet plead with you. Now, don't read this verse like this. God's saying, oh, please. Oh, please. Would you please come back to me? That's not what the verse is teaching. The word plead here does not mean that God is begging you. The word plead here means that God is arguing a case against you. I had a young man in our youth group years ago. Matter of fact, he went on to West Coast Baptist College and graduated. He's getting married next month. He loves the Lord. He's on our church staff. But years ago, he was in our Christian school. He was uh, taking illegal drugs. We didn't even know about it. His family had exploded. He was living a double life. We became aware that uh, some cafeteria money had been stolen. And we knew that he had done it. But to give him an opportunity to uh, own up to it, I called him into the office. I'll call him John. I said, John, we've got a problem because uh, we're missing some money from the uh, cafeteria. Do you know anything about that? He said, uh, no, sir. Now, you have to understand, any good prosecuting attorney only asks questions that he already knows the answers to. And so I said, uh, well, let me rephrase the question, John. I said, uh, we have some uh, money missing from the cafeteria. We have some suspicions as to why it's missing. And we're thinking that maybe you could help us. Know anything about it, John? No, sir. Oh, uh, John, let me make this very clear. We're missing some money from the cafeteria, and there's good reason to believe that uh, you stole it. John, do you know anything about that? Pastor Skelly, I swear on a stack of Bibles, 
I did not take that money. By the way, when people have to swear on a stack of Bibles, you can know they're lying. Because let your yay be yay and your nay nay. And we should know that your testimony is good enough. Hey, listen, he stood there and vehemently denied that he ever did anything. And he had done it and we we knew about it. And we expelled him from school. See, here's the thing. When I asked him the question and he said no, I didn't say, oh, okay, well, I must be wrong. And so just go, steal no more. I mean, not that you did steal. Oh, no, no, no. I already knew. So I stayed after it. Let me ask you again. 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 You know why? Because you will admit it. Let me ask you again. And by the way, the Lord, hey, he's a good prosecuting attorney. He already knows. He's going to ask you again. He's going to ask you again. He's going to ask you again. He said, oh, Pastor Skelly, why does the preacher stay on the same subject? Because God is using him. He's going to ask you again. He's going to ask you, wherefore I will yet plead with you. Hey, I've been over this time and time and time and time uh, before, but I'm going to say it again. I call that the insistence, the insistence of a plea, the prosecutor's case. Not only do I see the insistence of a plea, but notice with me, secondly, the incredulity of the prosecutor. Uh, Incredulity means, uh, I can't believe it. That's what the word means. The incredulity of the prosecutor. Notice what God says here in verse uh, verse, uh, uh, 10. uh, For pass over the isles of Chittim and see. Send unto Kedar and consider diligently and see if there be such a thing. Hath a nation changed their gods, which are yet no gods? But my people have changed uh, uh, their glory for that which does not profit. Be astonished, O heavens, at this. God throws up his arms and says, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. The Muslim people, they're staying faithful to their cause. The Hindu people, they're staying faithful to their cause. Uh, the, uh, uh, the Shinto people, they're staying faithful to their cause. The Jehovah's Witnesses, they're faithful to their cause. The Mormons, they're faithful to their cause. And my people who have the true God, they're waffling. Are you kidding me? Jesus Christ died upon a cross. God, the creator of the world, has called us unto his, uh, unto, his, unto his purposes, and we're living our lives as if he doesn't exist. Hey, are you kidding me? <clears throat> we harbor pet sins in our lives. It takes, a, it takes somebody to tell us a joke or, or, or preach hard at us to guess and do anything. Hey, listen, are you kidding me? That's what God says. He looks back at you this morning and says, are you kidding me? I'm shocked. The incredulity of the prosecutor. And then lastly this morning, not only the insistence of the plea and the incredulity of the prosecutor, but notice the indictment of the people. Notice what God says now at verse 13. He said, let's get down to it now. Let me uh, render the verdict. My people have committed two evils. Number one, they've forsaken me. And by the way, Many times we use the leaders constantly talking about all the things you do wrong. Don't get on that internet site. Don't smoke that. Don't chew that. Don't go there. And don't wear that. And that's all well and good. But listen, the greatest sin that we commit is not what we do. The greatest sin that we commit is what we don't do. And what we're not doing is we're not spending time real Real time with God. 
We've forsaken Him, the fountain of living waters, and we've shewn us out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water, and we're chasing the wind, and, and we've got all these plans, and they amount to nothing because they're minus God. And God says, that is a wasted life. Hey, listen, 11th graders, you better figure it out. What does God have for your life? Don't waste it! Hey, sophomores, you better figure it out. Before, before long, you'll be in Bible college somewhere. Hey, you better figure it out. Don't waste it. Only one life, and so soon it will pass, and only what's done for Christ will last, and don't waste it. I was told recently about the famous painter, Menzel, a German painter. He painted back in the early 1900s, oh, 1910, 1920. He loved his German heritage. And of course, at that time, there was no Hitler. That all was before Hitler ever even ruled. And Menzel was so proud of his German heritage. And particularly, he was proud of Frederick the Great, the great Prussian general. Frederick the Great was a, a war hero. And Menzel wanted to capture the greatness of Frederick the Great. And so he decided to paint a painting uh, that would uh, focus upon Frederick the Great. And so he began painting the painting on a huge canvas. In the background, he began to paint the great Prussian army, all the details. The army and all of its regalia in the background. And then uh, on each side, he began to paint the, the lieutenant generals, the next in charge to Frederick the Great. And he painted the generals in great detail and you could detect the, the attitude of their face as they were looking in and leaning in to hear the words of the great general. It seemed as if it were more of a photograph than even a painting. Mezel was painting all the details and all the side bars all so that it would focus upon the great general himself, Frederick the Great. And there... In the middle of that painting is a big blank spot. Just a charcoal outline of Frederick the Great. You see, Menzel never had the opportunity to finish the painting. The entire painting was about Frederick the Great. Oh, his intention was to give him all the attention. But you know what? He saved the king for last. He painted in all the details. Oh, they're important in their place. He painted in all the side elements. and They are important in their case. And he used all of his skill. But when his life was over, he had never painted in the king. I'm afraid that we've got a generation of teenagers that know how to paint in the details. We're good at our video games. We're MVPs at our basketball tournaments. We're acing our SAT tests. We've got all of our hobbies and avocations all figured out. And I think we have a desire in our heart that, hey, one day I'm going to get busy serving God too. I know that I'm a Christian. I know that I'm saved. One day I'm going to paint the king in and he's going to be the middle of my life. Put it off and put it off and put it off and put it off. We save the king until last. 
And all I'm asking you to do is focus on the middle of the picture. Are you already a memory? Thank you for listening to this Student Ministry 127 podcast. For more sermon resources, visit preaching.lancasterbaptist.org. And for information about West Coast Baptist College, visit wcbc.edu.